Ballarat Talks is produced by Futari Media and Audio Concierge and is brought to you with the support of Better Business Ballarat. Welcome to episode 11. This is the final of a three-episode chat with historian and author Dr Ross McMullen on his latest book, Pompey Elliot at War. We discuss the fighting general's life after the Great War and his legacy a century later. Like many returned soldiers, Pompey had seen more than his fair share of blood, suffering and death, which, I put to Ross McMullen, would have affected him deeply for the rest of his life. Ross concurs by paraphrasing Pompey's own correspondence on what he saw on the Western Front. You know, I can walk along here and see where a shell has landed just a few minutes earlier and killed five or six men and take no more notice than of a barking dog in Collins Street. And while that was no doubt partly true in that he, like many other soldiers, adjusted to this, and he, Pompey also said, if you couldn't adjust in that way, then you'd go down in a screaming heap and, and uh, you wouldn't last five minutes here. Mm. So that was, it was necessary, it was essential to be able to react like that. But what you're implying, Chris, is that, is that this had a, a deeper, a difficult legacy for him. Well, he's, he's suffered a lot yeah. after the war. After yeah. the war, yes, yes, that's right. And uh, he ended up taking his own life, uh, suiciding, um, uh, which you're no doubt alluding to. This happened in 1931. Now, he was a very prominent figure after the war, through the 1920s. He was the first senator elected to Victoria in, 19, in 1919, and then again in 1925. Uh, so he's prominent through the 1920s in politics, uh, the law and the history of the war. Uh, household name, especially in Victoria. But still, in 1931, um, he, he became very troubled and in the end took his own life. Um, and the reasons for that that I've spent quite a bit of time on in the, in the second last chapter in the previous biography that was a difficult chapter to write obviously uh, he retained a, a profound sense of grievance about being overlooked for divisional command when he thought when he and a lot of his admirers thought he was it would have been appropriate to promote him in mid-1918 when three vacancies arose at divisional level straight after Pompey's triumph at Villa Rittina. Uh, and, and this sense of grievance was reignited in 1921 when they set up the peacetime force and the same thing happened. They had five divisions of infantry that they had to find commanders for and Pompey was overlooked again. So that gnawed away at him very significantly uh, for quite a few years and in the end when they, when a different identity was in charge of making these appointments and he was given a divisional command in 1927. To a large extent, it was almost too late by then because he'd carried this grievance uh, for so long. He was also, there's the post-traumatic stress disorder that your previous question has, has would have been alluding to as well. And we didn't call it that then, but um, no doubt Pompey, as Australia's most famous fighting general, experienced that. But this wasn't the conventional sights, sounds, smells and all the rest of, of frontline experiences that he had a lot more of than, than most generals. 
what he had nightmares and flashbacks about in the 1920s tended to be occasions when he had he had ordered subordinates to carry out particular tasks and inevitably the Western Front being the Western Front they didn't always come back. Now he knew of course as a general that he couldn't do everything himself and he had to delegate tasks and um, and that was just part of the job but nonetheless he he felt bad in the 1920s about uh, a number of those episodes and it was those sorts of things that tended to crop up in his nightmares and flashbacks. He banged his head in a horse riding accident about six months before he died and when his relatives were trying to piece together the sequence of events and trying to make trying to make sense of this staggering manner of death shocking death for them they looked back at this head injury and wondered if that had been more significant mm. than the, than they'd felt at the time when Pompey of course just brushed it off and said it was no big deal that was um, August 1930 and uh, some of his um, relatives told me about that when I started researching Pompey that that yeah they wondered how significant that might have been as they, as they look back trying to make sense of it all and the other one and the, and the big one is that uh, Chris this is 1931 mm. and this is the great economic depression and this was a tremendously unsettling time uh, in Australia and particularly for someone of Pompey's uh, social and political views it was as if the whole system was going down the gurgler. You know, the, the tremendous amount of disquiet and widespread unsettled sentiment around the place. And he died in March 1931. He was the third prominent Melbourne solicitor in 1931, even up until March to commit suicide in, in that year, 1931. He had gone into Parliament saying, I'll be a returned soldiers candidate. No party hack for me. And he was a bit of a maverick in politics, but through the 1920s, he was very driven about doing whatever he could for returned soldiers. Now, that is not only in the public sphere, parliamentary debates and so on, but also at the personal individual level, where you know, if he met someone in Collins Street, he would often say something like this, um, oh, g'day, Joe, haven't... Haven't seen you since Lone Pine. You know, that was a bad wound you got, wasn't it? Yeah. How you been? And he'd recognise him, even though it was all those years earlier. He'd say, how's how the family? You know, um, uh, look, if, you, if there's any need for legal advice at any time, you come to my office, we'll give it to you free. And if you need a reference or anything for return soldier welfare or any other, any other pension of any kind, let me know and I'll do what I can. And... He employed a lot of battling returned soldiers at his home as gardeners, <laughs> even though these were, these were often um, tantamount to sinecures. And his wife, you know, demure Kate, that he that Harold Pompey always called his uh, sunshine lady, even Kate was heard to say one day, "Harold, does the garden really need to be dug up every day?" <laughs> Had all these returned soldiers there doing possibly not very much, but, but he was looking after them. Now, throughout the 1920s, he was doing all those sorts of things, and to him, the big thing about the Great Economic Depression was that it undermined his ability to keep doing that. Pulled the rug out big time. 
and that really, uh, that profoundly disturbed him. Well, he was truly a great Australian. Obviously, what he did in World War One, the admiration he had from the people that he commandeered, and the rest of um, society. But um, is his legacy being honoured in Australia? Do you think? Do people know enough about Pompey Elliot and his influence in World War One? Uh, well, I might be hopelessly biased here, Chris, but <laughs> but, uh, but I uh, um, I would say no, they don't. No, they don't. And um, it's better than it was about 20 years ago, I think, in that appreciation of his significance is better recognised now. But I should not forget to say that his own men and their families, men who, who served under him and their families, never forgot him, never forgot him. When I started researching Pompey in the 1980s and, I, and there were still returned soldiers around and I went to battalion reunions and things like that and... Um, one bloke told me in the 1980s, you know, he, he was still dreaming about him. He was popping up in his dreams. <laughs> I mean, it's just, so he loomed large for them and their families, for sure, but among the rest of the community, posterity hadn't done him any favours. Mm-hmm. He'd been a household name in his time and he'd slipped from sight uh, quite significantly. And uh, I think the manner of, manner of his death contributed to that. I think um, suicide in 1931 was was largely frowned on and Pompey was always because he was a bit of a maverick and a bit of an independent he wasn't uh, an orthodox conservative that it could be politically hallowed so his recognition of his significance had slipped it's got better but I think there's you know I think he's still very underrecognized particularly outside Victoria well Ballarat's done its bit though of course Chris in this context, I should should emphasise that that magnificent statue in the main street that uh, that, that one sees going th- going through Sturt Street certainly confirms uh, Ballarat's regard for him, which was mutual. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he was he lived here relatively briefly during his stint at Ballarat College, but whenever Charles Bean mentioned someone in the official history, the way they did it was Bean was Bean was driven to show the connection that these were ordinary men he was writing about from typical Australian backgrounds and so when he was going to mention anyone he approached them and he said what part of Australia would you like to be associated with and when he asked Pompey, Pompey said Ballarat, I've always retained a great appreciation of Ballarat and of my association with it. And so if you'd like to put me as Pompey Elliot from as Harold Elliot from Ballarat, that'd be good for me. And then that's, that's how he is in the history. What a great way to end, Ross. But your own contribution to his legacy has been incredible to get the story out. And uh, I'm sure that's much of the reason why we know so much about him. Thank you very much, Chris. It's very kind of you to say that. That's it for episode 11 of Ballarat Talks. We hope you've enjoyed this week's story. Check out our website at ballarattalks.com.au. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook with the handle at Ballarat Podcast. This episode was brought to you with the support of Better Business Ballarat, a networking and mentoring community for businesses in Ballarat. The group meets every third Friday at the Hop Temple. For more information, go to betterbusinessballarat.com.au. Ballarat Talks was produced by Futari Media and Audio Concierge. 
I'm Chris Ashmore. Thanks for listening. Thank you.